last Sunday? Raise your hand. If you were here last Sunday, ladies, raise your hand. All right, give it up for these ladies. Give them up. Give it up for them. Oh, that's pretty bad. Give it up for them. Thank you, Aaron. Good job. And, uh, you know, you maybe are wondering, what's the big deal? Why are we giving it up for? Well, in case you missed last Sunday, uh, here's a quick review in why we're giving it up for these ladies because they came back today. We began with this universal reality, and that is every wife hopes that their husband will change for the better. And the reason is rather obvious and simple, because every husband needs to change for the better. Every husband has room to grow. They have areas in life where they need to change and become more Christ-like. As Red Skelton once said, all men make mistakes, but married men find out about it sooner. Now, some wives verbalize this hope that their husbands will change. In fact, they may even verbalize it to their husbands. Other wives kind of keep this hope as a secret to themselves. Most wives have just simply given up on this hope that their husbands will change for the better. So what's a wife to do? Is there any hope for wives? And that's the question we're answering in this second part of the lesson that we that we started last Sunday, that we are now continuing uh, in this series we began about four weeks ago in 1 Peter called The Sojourner's Guide to a Hostile World. And the answer to the question is, yes, wives, listen, there is hope. There is hope if you will embrace Peter's challenge. And you notice this in your notes. If you want to follow along, you're welcome to. But Peter's challenge to women sojourners. And that's what we all are as Christ followers. That's Peter's term for us as Christ followers. He calls us sojourners or aliens or pilgrims, wanderers, because this world we live in is not our permanent home. We are resident aliens here and our ultimate citizenship is where? It's in heaven. And so we're in this transitory state of living, if you will. We're sojourners. That's Peter's term for us. And so it's women sojourners. His challenge to you wives is to live as women of hope in your marriage. Now, why is this challenge so important? Because this is the key to seeing your husband change for the better. This is the key to influencing your husband to Christ-like change. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me, and you'll notice what Peter says again here in First Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. I want to read it out of the ESV translation, and it says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands. So who were these, quote, holy women that Peter is referring to? And we learned last Sunday that they're women in the Old Testament who put their hope in God, in their marriage. And this is the challenge today, even for us. If you hope to see your husband change for the better, then Peter's challenge is basically this. Live faithfully as a woman of hope. Live faithfully as a woman of hope in your marriage. Now, uh, just so we understand the context in which Peter's writing all this, remember, Peter begins this section to wives with the word likewise there in 
chapter 3, specifically here in verse 1. And so the context means that the call of a wife's submission is part of a much larger call for all believers to submit to different authority structures. We've seen this already. Remember in chapter 2, Peter calls all of us to be submissive to all civil authorities for the Lord's sake. And then after that, he narrows it down in chapter 2 and he he calls employees to submission in the workplace. And now, here in chapter 3, he lasers in even a little more and he calls wives to be submissive to their husbands. Now, typically, this is the part we kind of struggle with the most. We're okay with submitting in the civil arena of our society. Government, police officers, the law. We're, we're fine with that. We know, hey, if I don't, I, I, there's a possibility I could go to jail. So we submit. Uh, when it comes to our employers, jobs, we're, we're okay. We, we will relegate ourselves to that because we know, hey, i got to make money. i got to live. So I'll submit to my boss and my employer. But in the area of the home, and wives in particular, in, in the roles here, that's where we kind of get the pushback sometimes. And a lot of times in our culture. In fact, it's contrary to our human nature, submiss- submission is, because we want to demand our rights. And it's definitely contrary to our culture that says, man, discard God's roles for husbands and wives. And yet this is what God calls us to live as believers in Jesus Christ, and in particular, as women of hope in marriage. So wives, how do you go about influencing your husband to Christ-like change and do it without animosity in your marriage or creating an environment of animosity in your marriage? That's the question. And Peter now lays out in these six verses, he gives us two different principles here. He, he tells us what not to do, and then he focuses on the positive, and here's what to do. Last Sunday, we focused on what not to do, the negative part. And we learned, he says, basically, do this. Abandon strategies that disappoint. Abandon these strategies that disappoint in influencing your husband to Christ-like change. And we learned last Sunday that no matter how well-meaning a wife may be, the natural, and when we, when we say the word natural, that is our flesh, our human nature, the natural way most women or a wife goes about seeking to change her husband is very destructive. And in the end, it brings about disappointment. In fact, Peter tells us there are three strategies that wives are temp- tempted to use, but in the end, they always disappoint. And those three strategies were what you may remember are He says, one, words don't work. Words don't work in changing your husband. All right? So so abandon that. Uh, He says, number two, beauty won't last in in a strategy in changing your husband. So abandon that strategy. And then we saw number three, liberation can't deliver the fulfillment wives are looking for. So abandon that strategy. And, And now Peter begins to focus on here's what to do. All right? And we see this in number two. Focus then on God's strategy. So abandon those strategies that bring disappointment and won't work. And now focus on God's strategy in influencing your husband to Christ-like change. Now, here's the deal though. For many wives, 
they view their role, and, and we're all prone to do this, even husbands too. And we'll, we'll get to husbands next Sunday. So guys, you better show up next Sunday, okay? Don't, don't flake out here uh, next Sunday and bell out. Come next Sunday because we're going to be addressed. Uh, but many wives tend to view their role as, as, quote, conditional. That is, their behavior depends on their husband's behavior. This attitude says something like this. Well, sure, I'll, I'll be the kind of wife I should be if he's the kind of husband he should be. And that's how most people approach their marriage from in our, our culture. You work with them, you live by them, you probably have family members like them. And in fact, maybe you've tend to, you know, operated in your own marriage that way, with that kind of mindset. On the surface, that mindset sounds great. Turnabout is simply fair play. And that's what that mindset is all about. Turnabout is fair play. But here's just, here's the one problem with it. This passage isn't written to wives who have husbands who, quote, play fair. This passage is written to all wives in general and specifically to wives whose husbands do not, quote, play fair. Or as Peter says, specifically, he says, they do not obey the word, these husbands. Which is another way of saying that these husbands, they're not believers in Jesus Christ. So by implication, this passage now is directed to women who live with disobedient husbands, husbands who care little about God, husbands who are, yes, difficult to live with, husbands who aren't loving their wives as they should. In other words, these are husbands who need to change for the better. So wives, where are you going to turn? Where are you going to turn for hope in influencing your husband to Christ-like change. You can either turn to what our culture says, or you can turn to what God says here in His Word. I hope you will turn to God's Word because God gives you a strategy of hope. In fact, what we see in God's strategy is this powerful portrait of a woman of hope in her marriage. You say, what's that portrait look like? Well, that's what we're going to spend the next few minutes painting, get, painting a picture of it. Because Peter gives us these brush strokes of this portrait of a woman of hope. Notice it. Number one, first of all, a woman of hope is submissive to her husband. Now, wise, please, I, I plead with you, don't tune out God just because our culture has bashed the concept of submission in marriage. Notice again what it says in verse 1 here. We're in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Look what it says in your word, in the word of God. He says, likewise, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, isn't that great? Peter doesn't tell you to be submissive to all husbands. No, just your own husband. That's an interesting thing. We're fr- thankful for that. God commanded this, this, this concept of submission Because he knows submission is the best arrangement for a fulfilling marriage. Now, here's the question, though. What does all that mean? Um, What does it mean for a wife to be submissive to her husband? So here's what I want to do. 
I want to give you a definition of what it means, and then we're going to talk about what it does not mean. Okay, because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. The Greek word here for submissive means to be subject or subordinate. And literally, it's the idea to place under. Okay, to place under the authority of someone. I actually, I love this quote, this definition by John Pat Piper that he gives. Uh, and it's in your, out, your, in your handout. Notice what he says. He says, submission is the divine calling of a wife. To honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. It's the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. Uh, So submission is an attitude that basically says this. I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish in the relationship when you are passive and I have to make sure the family works. Okay? But submission does not follow a husband into sin. And we need to be clear on that, ladies and guys. It does not mean you follow your husband into sin. That's why the attitude of biblical biblical submission also says... It grieves me when you venture into sinful acts and want to take me with you. You know I can't do that. I have no desire to resist you. On the contrary, I flourish most when I can respond to joyfully to your leadership. But I can't follow you into sin as much as I love to honor your leadership in our marriage. Christ is my king. So wives, please understand. Submission has nothing to do with equality. Uh, We're all equal. We talked about this in our our series in Genesis, going all the way back to, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, when God created uh, Adam and Eve, created man and woman. We talked about that. Submission has nothing to do with worth. Submission does not mean the wife is inferior to the husband. In fact, that's why I love what it says in Proverbs 31.10. This is such a wonderful verse. It says, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies, it says. There's nothing degrading about submitting to authority or accepting God's design roles for husbands and wives. If anything, it's the first step toward a fulfilling marriage. Is understanding, all right, as a husband, this is my role, God-given. And as a wife, this is my God-given role. And I, I submit to these roles that God has designed, going all the way back to Genesis, when he created Adam and Eve and created the institution of marriage. After all, God's the creator. He's the all-knowing one. He knows how marriage works best. And so he set the design for us. And so I... You know, instead of putting myself above God and thinking, I know what's best and how marriage works. No, I'm going to submit to our creator and I accept these gender roles, these these husband and design roles even in marriage. And by doing that, when we submit to God and his word, man, that's where we have the greatest opportunity for our marriage to flourish and actually enjoy marriage, enjoy our spouses. All right. So what does submission not mean, though? What does it not mean? Because sometimes we can understand this concept of, of submission when we start to identify what it isn't. And so here are five things submission does not mean. 
Are you ready? Number one, submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Aren't you thankful for that, ladies? Hey, absolutely. You don't have to agree with everything your husband says. In fact, we see that in verse 1, that the wife is a Christian and the husband is not. In context here, Peter's writing to wives whose husbands are not believers in Jesus Christ. This means that the husband, he has one set of ideas about reality and eternity. And she has another set of ideas, biblical ideas. Peter calls her to be submissive while assuming she will not submit to his view of the most important thing in the world, and that is God. So submission can't mean agreeing with everything that her husband thinks. Number two, submission does not mean leaving your brain or will at the wedding altar. And Audra, aren't you thankful for that? Audra and Chris are getting ready to get married here in two weeks. You're all invited. The wedding's on Saturday, November the 24th, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. All right, all right. You're all invited. Hope you'll be here as we celebrate the uniting in marriage. It'll be a good thing. So, listen, submission is not inability or the unwillingness to think for yourself. Case in point, here is a woman who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. She thought about it. She embraced in her heart the person and work of Jesus Christ. And she chose him. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. Her husband heard the gospel also. In fact, we kind of are, are know that because Peter probably wouldn't say, he uses this phrase, that the husband disobeyed the word. So more than likely, these husbands have heard the gospel. The wife embraces the gospel while the husband rejects the gospel. So this hot... He's thought about it, but he's not chosen Christ yet. But this wife thought for herself and she acted on the gospel. God intervened, opened up her heart and her eyes, and she responds by faith. And Peter does not tell her to retreat from that commitment to Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Number three, submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change your husband. In fact, that's what the whole text is about the whole point of this text is to tell a wife how to quote win her husband to christ that's what it's all about here that's what peter means when he says in verse one likewise you wives be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives So the goal of this text is to actually help wives bring about the most profound change in their husbands that can be imagined. The transformation from being a spiritually dead unbeliever to a spiritually alive believer in Jesus Christ. So submission does not say, hey, I renounce all my efforts to change my husband or to influence him to Christ-like change. In fact, Peter is saying that submission is actually part of God's strategy 
for changing your husband or influencing your husband for Christ-like change. Number four, submission does not mean putting your husband's will before Christ's will. This text clearly teaches that the wife is a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, ladies. Before and even above being a follower of her husband. Why? Because in this case, her husband is going on a path of unbelief. And she does not follow him in that. Because she has been called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who lives as a sojourner even in her own marriage. Remember, when Sarah called Abraham Lord here in verse 6, it was Lord with a lowercase l. It's a term of respect we saw last Sunday. And her obedience to Abraham is qualified obedience because her supreme allegiance is to the Lord with a capital L. And then number five, submission does not mean getting your personal spiritual strength primarily from your husband. Now, it is true, a good husband should strengthen, and guys, we'll, we'll see this next Sunday, should strengthen and build up and sustain his wife. He should be a source of strength for his wife and his family. But what this text shows us is that when a husband's spiritual leadership in the marriage and home is lacking, a Christian wife is not deprived of her strength. Submission does not mean she is dependent on him to supply her spiritual strength. In fact, the text assumes just the opposite. She is encouraged to develop spiritual strength and character, not from her husband, but for her husband. Remember, verse 5 says that her hope is in who? God. Her hope is in God. That's the secret to flourishing with a difficult husband. You don't get your strength from your husband, but from God. You hope in God. You look to God for the love and the security and the joy that you long for. So a woman of hope is submissive to her husband. That is the first brush stroke that Peter paints in his powerful portrait of a woman of hope. She's submissive. And yes, our our culture has a whole concept of what that is and is not. And you have to decide for yourself, here's what I'm going to embrace and here's what I'm going to discard because, man, I'm telling you what, we are inundated with our culture's concept of how to survive in our marriages, especially in this area of submission. And you've got to decide, am I going to embrace what the culture says or am I going to embrace what God's word says here? Who am I going to trust? What am I going to believe? What am I going to live by? Peter's painting a portrait of a powerful woman here of hope. And he says the first brushstroke is she's submissive in her marriage. Number two, Peter says, a woman of hope is chaste in her conduct. Chaste in her conduct. Look what it says in verse two now. 
It says, wives, your husband is going to be impacted when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. This word conduct, it means behavior or actions. It describes what you do, ladies, in your home, in the car, in the backyard, in the workplace, the marketplace. In other words, it's, it's every activity in every place. And the word chaste simply means having godly responses to conflict. Being pure in your dress, your language, your social media. Being righteous in your decisions. Chaste does not mean self-righteous or judgmental. It speaks to the moral goodness of your life. And when Peter says this phrase, accompanied by fear. So chaste, accompanied by fear. That describes your genuine love and reverence for the Lord. And God says a chaste or Pure wife is a very powerful tool in influencing Christ-like change in the life of your husband. So the first brushstroke is she submissive. The second big brushstroke is a woman of hope is chaste in her conduct. And now we see the third brushstroke. Number three, a woman of hope is godly in her character. Godly in her character. Look what it says in verse 4. Peter writes in verse 4 here. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, what does this mean? What's Peter talking about here? Well, it means her attitude is gentle. That is, she's considerate. She's not pushy or demanding. Uh, We might think of gentleness this way. It's it's strength under control. As you live under the power of the Holy Spirit. The opposite of a gentle spirit would be, and you think in your mind some terms. The opposite of a gentle spirit. And most of what you're, com- what you're thinking through in your mind right now is probably correct. The opposite of a gentle spirit would be things like combative. Uh, so a gentle spirit, a woman who is gentle in her spirit, that means she's not brash. And oh, do we live in a world, in a society where women are brash today. I mean, they, it's brashness. She's not overpowering or blunt in her words and actions. Instead, a gentle spirit is the idea of she's soft-spoken and calm. And when I say soft-spoken, that doesn't mean she's just a little mouse in the sense that doesn't have thanks for herself, doesn't have an opinion, and is afraid to share. That's not the idea of that. Calmly, it's this idea. Think of it this way. It means calmly. She bears the disturbances created by others. Instead of causing or contributing to those disturbances. We all know from experience that there is a woman who stirs the pot, and then there's a woman who stills the storm. A woman of hope stills the storm because of her gentle and calming spirit within her. She doesn't stir the pot, she stills the storm. This word quiet, it means tranquil or undisturbed, like the surface of a lake on a windless morning. It describes the heart 
of a woman who is not easily ruffled by the cares and concerns of life. Why? Because she's a woman who puts her hope in God. Think of it this way. If the husband is the head of the home, the woman is the heart of the home. That means that she sets the emotional tone for the family. She sets the tone of the house by her own spirit and everyone else resonates to the note that she sounds. Wives, here's what that means in a practical way. More times than not, if your home is peaceful, quiet, and restful, it's because you have created that atmosphere in your home. But the opposite is also true. More times than not, it also means if your home And your house is hectic, it's loud, disorganized, and strife-filled, contentious-filled. It's because you have set that tone by your spirit. Now, does that mean that a husband can't come in like a volcano and just blow things up? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that. But after the husband does that, you know, and he, he leaves or whatever, the wife comes in and resettles things. Bring back the atmosphere. Resets the tone for the house and for her kids. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, ladies, man, God just didn't make me like that. That's just, man, that's not who I am. Then as lovingly as I know how to say it, like your husband, you need to be changed by God's grace. You need to let your hope in God go to work in your inner being and make you a gentle and quiet person that Peter's talking about here. Now, God's not trying to give you a different personality. God loves the personality he shaped you with and gave you. He loves that one. But God wants godliness to be expressed through whatever personality God has gifted you with. Why? Because these three characteristics of a woman of hope, Peter is identifying for us and saying, listen, they can be such a powerful tool in God's hand to influence your husband to Christ-like change. In fact, when you hold up this powerful portrait of a woman of hope, What you see in this portrait is really her inner beauty. Or what Peter calls, and maybe you caught it here in verse 4, he uses this phrase, the hidden person of the heart. And that, ladies, is what we need to focus on. That is what's most important here. The inner person of the heart of the heart it's inner beauty okay now let me just end here with four observations about the power of a wife's inner beauty to influence her husband because i'm telling you ladies our culture says you want to influence a man this is the way to do it and it's opposite of what god says peter comes out and he says listen It's your inner beauty that has the most power to transform a man. This inner beauty of the heart. 
So here's four observations about it. Number one, inner beauty is persuasive with your husband. Inner beauty is persuasive. In other words, notice this in verse four. It actually says that a husband can be one. Or more specifically, Peter says this husband can be won over or gained. In other words, that same husband of yours that needs to change for the better. Listen, that means Peter's saying he can be persuaded. Over time, he can see that you have something great going with God that he doesn't have. And he can be drawn to have it by what he sees in your life. And if you want to see your husband change for the better, your adornment then is not on the external. Peter's saying your adornment is the inner beauty of the heart. That's what's persuasive. That is what's powerful in influencing people both your husband and even your kids. Inner beauty communicates that message better than any finger-waving warning or hands-on-the-hips lecture to a man. However, please understand, this is not a guarantee that your husband will change. Why? Because there can be no guarantee Because every person chooses their own course in life. Here's the point, wives. God is trying to change your husband and you can be used to either help or to hinder God in the process. And inner beauty goes a long, long way in helping God change your husband for the better. Inner beauty is powerful. It's persuasive. Number two Inner beauty is permanent over time. It's permanent, ladies. Peter is making a contrast here. While outward beauty, we saw this last Sunday, outward beauty is what? It's fading, right? Does it last forever? No. Whereas inward beauty can be flourishing. Don't you love that? What makes you truly beautiful as a lady, as a woman, is so much more than just skin deep. You can't buy this kind of beauty. Listen, and there's nothing wrong with ladies getting together for a Mary Kay party. Nothing wrong with that. All right? Nothing wrong with that. But, man, think about ladies getting together for an inner beauty party. Hey, we're going to, ladies, you want to come over to my house on a Friday night? We're going to have an inner beauty party. Silence on the phone. The invitations go out. Nobody RSVPs. Mary Kay party? Oh, yeah, food and party. Yeah, we'll focus on the external. I'm not saying it's wrong, but let's weigh this out a little bit. God has to build this kind of beauty in your character. And when he does, it will last forever as a powerful impact upon your life first and then upon your husband's life. Proverbs 11.22 says, As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. He said, what's that mean? Well, it doesn't mean women are like pigs, all right? So don't read that into it. It's not what it means. It does mean the pig is still a pig. Ugly as ever, nose ring in or not. 
And in the same way, a woman can be blessed. In other words, here's the application. A woman can be blessed with incredible physical beauty. But if she doesn't have that inner beauty, you get the point. Let me put it this way to you, moms. You will never hear your kids say, wow, mom, you are so beautiful. I just want to obey you and respect you now much more. Listen, physical beauty doesn't impact your kids to Christ-like change any more than it impacts your husband to Christ-like change. That's why Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. That's the power of inner beauty. It's persuasive. It's permanent. And you know what Proverbs says? It will be praised. In other words, this woman, this wife will be praised In verse 28, three verses before this says, you'll be praised by your children and by your husband because of this beauty. Oh, Proverbs 31, ladies, you've got to go there and read it. And guys, too. Number three, inner beauty is precious to God. It's precious to God. Verse four says that the inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in the sight of God. And I, in other words, it's, it's valuable to God. The idea here is that God looks down from heaven and he sees the woman of hope who have inner beauty and he smiles and says, they are so precious to me. Inner beauty is precious in the sight of God. And if you're a parent of a young daughter, Man, then let me encourage you to help your uh, young daughters to focus on that more than the external beauty. They already get that from our culture. In fact, the image, image is so prevalent among our teenagers and kids, even in elementary school. And that's all the focus and the emphasis. And so reshape even for guys, for young men. Here's what to look for in a woman. As a potential wife. It's the inner beauty. Women, or as a daughter, here's what to develop. Here's what to focus on developing more than your physical beauty. It's the inner beauty of the heart. That's what matters most. And then number four, inner beauty is proven to work. It's proven to work. Now, ladies, perhaps you're wondering, well, if I buy into this inner beauty program, will it work? Will it really change my husband? Will it really have an impact on my family? And as we said before, there are no guarantees that your husband will change. There just aren't. So you can be the most godliest of women, and that doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have a Christ-like husband and he's going to become that. just doesn't mean that. But yet, it can still work. It can be proven. In fact, God reassures us with these words. Look at what it says in verses 5 and 6. It says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And so what Peter does here is he lifts up Sarah, the wife of Abraham, 
and these other women of hope in the Old Testament as the shining examples of inner beauty at work. Now, as we wrap up this and conclude, let me just say, I know, wives, that some of you, man, you long to see your husband change for the better. In fact, there are maybe some wives here who, maybe in the past, maybe even in the present, you've been hurt by your husband in different ways, different levels. So to come and hear a lesson like this can be a lot like what Peter writes here in verse 6. It can bring fear to your heart. Verse 6 says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. The NIV says it this way. If you do good, ladies, what is right, and do not give way to fear. Do not give way to fear. Now, I got one minute. Let me say this, wrap it up. Fear is probably what holds most women back from living out God's role of submission in marriage. It's fear. Plain and simple. This phrase Peter uses, give way to fear. It means you're quickly alarmed by all the what-ifs in your marriage. If I submit to my husband, if I accept this design God-given role for my life as a wife, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and we have a gazillion what-ifs. And most, 99% of those what-ifs are all motivated by fear. So, wise, let me ask you, what are your fears when it comes to God's strategy in changing your husband? What are your fears when it comes to being submissive to your husband? What are your fears when it comes to focusing more on your inner beauty? And the bigger question is, how do you then not give way to these fears and instead you triumph over these fears? And the answer is, brings us all the way back full circle, hope. That's why the challenge from Peter is to live faithfully as a woman of hope. The presence of hope drives out fear. Women of hope fight the anxieties. They overcome all the what ifs that rise up in their hearts. They wage war on fear and they defeat it with their hope, not in what the culture says, not in what they can do, but in God and his promises and his word. This is what women of hope do. They hope in God and they triumph over fear. And it all comes down to this. Ladies, will you live as women of hope or women of fear? That's really what it comes down to. And so you have a choice. Does that mean you're going to live it out perfectly? Oh, no, no, no. 
And men don't either. We, we're all human and we falter. And that's why we go to God and his power each and every day. All right, Lord, this is a new day and I need your presence. I need your help. I need your power to help me live and fulfill my God-given role in this marriage with a difficult husband. Or maybe he's a good husband. It doesn't matter. We all struggle in our own sin nature as wives and husbands to live as women of hope each and every day. Because I'm hoping and I'm putting my trust in you, Lord, in the promises you have for me in here, in your truth. And I'm going to discard, I'm going to avoid being inundated in a sense and embracing the cultural's view on this. And instead, I am going to embrace what you have for a biblical marriage. That's what it comes down to. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the truth of your word. Help each and every woman here to live as a woman of hope and to triumph over the fears that reside in our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen.